Welcome to the Joel Beasley Tech and Science Podcast. That's the big thing I'm interested in is what does it mean to think exponentially about technology? And then we can just sort of branch off from there about your background and all of that. Okay, that's perfect. Cool. I got the book right here. I actually have your book too, so. What? Oh, thank you so much, Aaron. <laughs> that was the, the first try at writing a book. Is this your first book or no? No, it's it's my technically fifth, but my first one that was by a New York publisher. So, yeah. Nice. What's in it? You got to tell me now. Like, what's How do you think exponentially about technology? What's this theory? So exponential theory is the idea is when you think bigger, you become more conscious. So what we've seen is like companies that have really scaled to create really exponential, solve exponential problems. That, and those are problems that maybe impact a billion people or more. So it's not thinking about your group, your family, you know, your community, your tribe. You know, it's thinking bigger beyond that to solve problems that are uh, inherently much bigger. And then you add in exponential technologies, which there's about in the book, I cover 38 of them that are coming to the forefront now that are disrupting every different industry and really taking, you know, kind of exponential theory is, is you add people, planet and uh, technology together and you start to create a mix of companies that can grow exponentially, leveraging uh, these different technologies that are becoming widely available, which we know Web3 AI, but it goes to 3D printing. All these things are digitizing the world. You know, how do they actually, once something becomes digitized, then it becomes exponential. There's a period where there's a deceptive phase that people are like dismissive of that technology and including people that are in technology because they don't, inherently see that the world is speeding up. So they say, well, that's not going to impact me. But then there comes a point that it becomes disruptive. And then those linear thinking technologists uh, can never catch up to uh, exponential. Then then once it's disruptive, it generally goes through three other periods that Stephen Kotler and Peter Diamantis came up with these six Ds, that it it literally becomes demonetized, democratized, as well as uh, dematerialized. And that's where, as we look at every industry, uh, we're starting to see how those technologies that are just exploding, whether it's Airbnb and the hotel industry, Uber, you know, at the end of the day, they don't own anything, but they're democratizing these opportunities, both for uh, the the rideshare people, um, as well as the homeowners, as well as for customers that are looking to, to book Airbnbs or Ubers. I was having a conversation yesterday with one of my technical buddies and I had asked him, I said, hey, have you played around with GPT or how much are you experiencing GPT? Because he had a big exit like a year or two ago. So he got a ton of money and he's just been kind of hanging out, doing art and exploring life. So I said, you know, now that you're looking to come back and do some work, I was like, have you been playing with GPT? He said, I've seen some people on Reddit, but I haven't, you know, really delved deep into it. And he's a brilliant engineer. And I said, man... I said, I have, I've been exploring that area. And I think, I know it sounds a little bit bullish, but I think it's as important as electricity. I think we'll realize it in hindsight, but right now everyone's seeing the crude wires and we're stringing wires across town. And that's, but then what happens a hundred years later when you see what people have built on top of it and built with it, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, we could probably say this is the year of AI because of ChatGPT and all the other different AIs that are racing to catch up or have something that's relevant to 
the masses. I think in particular, you know, the people, it's the same digital divide that we've been dealing with for the last 50 years. It's, there's going to be a few people, and I, and I think of them as content creators, and you think about their influencers. Influencers are going to get passed by by the people that leverage it to create massive amounts of content. And I have this program called the XMBA, which is Exponential Mindset, Belief, and Attitude. And I work with CTOs and their groups and go out and speak and talk about technologies. But it's really getting people to be very experimental with these exponential technologies, knowing that within a few years, they're probably going to disrupt whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's just moving to the cloud, obviously the cloud enables that digitization and then it enables all kinds of other opportunities for CTOs. Um, AI in particular, though, just starts to enable the average worker to like become exponentially better. And that's what we're kind of seeing in the big tech right now, this kind of pullback because we're realizing we don't need, you know, as many engineers as we needed in the past. And the value that um, having 10,000 engineers versus say 5,000 probably is incremental and it's not exponential. So we're seeing this pullback because we overhired in a, in a massive growth period. Um, and business models are, are obviously retract and grow and retract and grow. And, but what we'll see is those companies that really embrace technologies like a chat GPT and you kind of learn the marvels of what it can do and what also it has limitations of, um, you're going to see people that just exponentially do work faster and you're going to see them, you know, obviously go through the, the ranks a lot, lot quicker. And I think you're going to have the have and have nots, the ones that embrace AI and the ones that don't. And we're going to further see that a year or two years from now that no one's safe, you know, not the chief technology officer, not the CIO, not the CEO, because really anybody has the ability to exponentially leverage AI. Now, part of that is to understand what's a prompt or how to really talk to AI to get, you know, answers that are meaningful. And I think that's a whole nother opportunity area for uh, the world is as you learn to kind of talk to AI and leverage it, uh, being able to prompt it in the right way um, will help you get results that actually, you know, get exponential for the company or for yourself personally, professionally, and organizationally, which you now see AI as leverage for all those things uh, just to help you make decisions, help you to do analysis, all those things that were, you know, took so much time, all the routine stuff um, now can be outsourced to an AI. And I think we'll see more and more of that. And that's part of, you know, I have an investment fund called X3 that we're looking at Web3 and and uh, AI space and really in particular looking at these vertical SaaS models, both for, you know, we've only seen Web3 really systemically and AI now systemically is every different industry, doesn't matter what it is, um, is going to be disrupted by AI and Web3 um, as we kind of move forward. There's just better business models out there for the masses and that's what we're moving towards. So it's kind of figuring out if um, this idea in the book that I, I share because I used to be entrepreneur residence at Singularity University at NASA Ames. And Singularity is this idea that Ray Kurzweil puts out there that biology, technology all will merge and create this supercomputer with quantum computing and, you know, really unreal abilities to kind of do that. And we're moving towards that. And that's what we see. So it's really understanding technology. And this is what I speak about a lot when I go talk to uh, technology groups is it's Knowing that we may not get there as fast as some people say, we may get there faster than others say, but the reality is we're on a path to go there. So how and what technology in your industry is going to be disrupted by that? And then how do you leverage that technology to actually disrupt others and even your own work group so that, 
you know, you leverage AI and you leverage Web3 and you leverage all these other 38 technologies I talk about in the book, uh, whether it's 3D printing or 5G or there's just so many different technologies coming to the space at once. We've never been in an explosion of technology where, you know, no one can keep up with it all. But it's the matter is to get a team that actually can understand in your industry, what is the next stage towards this idea that all technology is merging? And we're starting to see that in a lot of different industries. And journalism was one of those that I talked about in the book was probably disrupted the first. And then it really led to, you know, extreme beliefs on both the left and right and every other different angle. Because if you didn't have an extreme belief, then you weren't polarized enough to actually get the attention of the algorithm and people to dislike you that made you famous because you had as many people disliking you as liking you. So having an average opinion, whether you're a CTO or a, a wannabe influencer probably doesn't get you very far. So understanding that also means like, how do you take risk? And the biggest thing that I probably talk to C-level leadership about is if you don't make a decision, you are making a decision. And what that decision is today with the world moving faster is you're probably not going to catch up. Um, if you're going to, if you're not enabled to make decisions, it's better to make a decision, make mistakes, spend money and re learn from that. And I think that's part of, uh, this kind of fail forward is like fail fast. Um, and I always say in my X MBA is you either learn or win. The only time you fail is if you make the same mistake again and again. So I want to talk about risk and, and blinders and maybe they're connected and, and Maybe they're not, but you seem like a really intelligent person from a psychology standpoint to a business standpoint. So I figured it's worth asking. So a short story here is my, uh, I've been with my wife for 10 years and her dad is a UPS semi-truck driver. And 10 years ago, our first Christmas dinner where we're all sitting around the table, I start talking with him. I, hey, have you seen this autonomous driving technology? He explained to me all the reasons why it would never be possible for a semi-truck to be driven by a computer and the art of it and, you know, the craft of it and all the little things you have to know. And, and I tried to explain, well, yeah, you know, computers can sort of keep a lot more in memory when they're decision making than humans can. And so then a year or two goes by, the technology gets incrementally better, incrementally better. And then uh, we, we see this uh, documentary come out where they're actually showing videos of these uh semi-truck drivers driving in obstacle courses, they're showing them two other semi-truck drivers. It was an Amazon documentary, like low budget type uh, movie. And I saw how defensive they all were about how it's not going to be possible. This is just a, you know, every stage they were denying all the way up to the, the Christmas, I think three years ago, where I actually showed, I told him, I said, hey, I think it was Uber or some, some of the big, one big brand made a, its first semi-truck delivery like successfully made it. And I showed him that. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, here's the video of it. Like it's done. Like it's <laughs> he's like, not possible. What is it about people? Because I see this happening with technologists too. Oh, you know, they see Google or um, GitHub Copilot. I don't know if you've explored that a lot, but it's a assistive auto completion tool for writing software. Oh, that's just something. And they just, it's, they're constantly dismissive until the point. What is it about humans what is it about our brain that's wired? Why, why is this happening on all of these different areas? Why are we putting our blinders up? Well, I, you know, I, from a neuroscience, and I teach a lot of my XMBA program, this, this idea. And, you know, we were, our brain is 10,000 years old, and it, it really hasn't changed um, with the fact that everything is speeding up. But we're actually able to filter through so much information subconsciously. 
but our conscious mind is only to hold just a few thoughts comparatively, like 30,000 times less. So, you know, as we talk, we're kind of seeing the world in a, in a much different way in our subconscious mind than what we actually bring to our own attention. Um, the reality doesn't serve us well to kind of think that we're going to be disrupted. So we want to fight that. And the amygdala, which is really your fight, fight, or freeze function of your body, is that your executive decision-making, you know, once it gets past the amygdala, is like, I don't, I'm going to fight this because, you know, I need the status quo. And it's just about change. Very few people are agile and adaptive to kind of change to the future, to really see where, uh, you know, the industry is going or where their job is going. What's interesting is there's this super conscious and I'll, I won't get spiritual on you, but it's this idea that all the, yeah. <laughs> all the jobs out there that are really hard to fill right now. And that includes semi drivers. It includes McDonald's workers. It includes, so you see this system that's an ecosystem is a naturally imbalance, like from biomimicry. As you look at nature, only when humans kind of interfere and start messing with the system and. I talk about this in my book a lot, um, that you start to kind of disrupt this pattern of growth, but semi truck drivers, for example, are probably not in any jeopardy right now because there's going to be an adoption rate that takes a while. And those semi drivers that want to still drive will still drive, but every trucking company, and I'm actually friends with, uh, some of the ownership of, uh, Knight and Swift, and they're a huge trucking operation out of Phoenix and you know, they'll adapt to this because they can't hire the people. The same with McDonald's is kiosk because now we have a McDonald's fully functioning kiosk autonomous because they're not able to hire those people. So we see this system that we're naturally solving problems and we've, we have through history. And now that we have all these accelerating technologies, we're able to solve problems faster. Well, problems are coming faster at us. And that's where like the idea that we have a supply chain you know, disruption that we had in 2021 because of COVID and, you know, the global supply chain, um, technology will eventually, you know, take that out of human hands, you know, and, and that's where these things are all pushing a greater ecosystem to like, let's solve for these things. So, um, in particular, I think change in people, it's much easier to not change than to change. Um, it's much easier to not make a decision than make one, but you are always making a decision. And when you're not changing, you're actually resisting. And that's a whole part of my course is what you resist persist, which is a Carl Jung thought. And we resist a lot to actually feel part of our comfort zone because we don't want to step outside of a comfort zone. And I always say it's that you jump into fear, which is false evidence appearing real. And that's really your amygdala that's 10,000 years old that for good reasons, you know, basically, as I say, stay the same or be in the same environment. Don't go out of, you know, if you're on the savannah in Africa, you know, when the amygdala started and there's a lion on the horizon, it's like, go back to the fire and be around all the people. Um, that was a natural intuition that helped people survive in those days. Now we go 10,000 years forward and we have the complexity of the decisions we have. We think we have the sophistication, but we're run by this really, really complex you know, brain, which is honestly in the universe is the most complicated thing. And the thing we don't completely understand, um, more than anything, but it literally rules all of our emotions and emotions is what creates change. And that emotion is when someone does lose their job, they will change. They, they will then say, okay, now I see, I have to do this. 
But fighting it logically is is really the resistance of CEOs and CTOs that companies that get disrupted because they're willing to stay the course on something that obviously as things evolve, we almost evolve with these technologies. And I also say is use technology, don't let it use you. Um, I think it's a big part of learning. You know, right now there's a good part of society that technology is using them and we complain about it. Yet there are, you know, there are tools and things to actually leverage that technology instead of it leveraging you. And that's what we're we're kind of seeing as the world changes. And that's even using chat GPT as an advantage is embracing the change of the technology and understanding and being one of the people on the, the side that really takes advantage of those opportunities. Those are the leaders that are going to lead into the future. Those are the ones that are going to disrupt whatever exists right now. All business models are being disrupted. And, you know, we take Apple, we take Microsoft, um, we take Amazon, we take any of these companies. And five years ago, their business model was completely different than what it is today. And those are your largest companies that are fighting to survive. And I, you know, Jeff Bezos and even said, you know, companies last about 30 years. Amazon's been around 30 years. You know, it's not going to last forever. And I think that's um, some of these companies have stockpiles of cash to, you know, acquire the new technology or the new thing like Facebook, but Instagram and WhatsApp and investing in the metaverse, whether that ever pays off or not. It's really seeing the next model and getting to it. But it doesn't mean that that change that the whole organization is adapting. And that's part of also this flux of, you know, what I'll say a contraction in the tech industry is to understand that it has to change to survive. And I think these biggest companies realize that because they watch all the other companies kind of come and go, you know, with their growth. You said when you resist or what you resist persist, how do I discover what I'm resisting and what's holding me back? Well, so I think there's a, a, a big part is that we overthink and this goes to the the nature of our technologists is we think we can think our way out of every problem. Yet, you know, our intuition often will tell us what to do, but we'll fight it by thinking. And thinking, and, and I say our intuition is actually being in the moment now to understand that now is the only moment you can control. And so now is the only time you can make a decision for the future. It's the only time you can create the future. And what I really help leaders to do is think about themselves in the future looking back on now and to understand if they're going to take their team or their company to some place, what do they need to do now? And I would say most leaders don't do that now. They're literally run on what they've done in the past. So they're not thinking about like, okay, a year from now, we want to be here or 10 years from now, we want to be there. When I have a quote in the book or on Bill Gates, and he said this 20 plus years ago, he said, We often overestimate what we can do in one year, but we always underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And part of that is your own personal growth of where, how do you, you know, skate to where the puck's at, if in a Wayne Gretzky quote, to get to where the technology is going. If we know that singularity, if technology is starting to kind of stack on each other and we're starting to learn from that accelerated pace, how do we actually do that for ourselves personally, professionally understanding that? And then organizationally helping our organizations move towards that. That is the, you know, change conundrum. And I think, you know, change is the only constant is what I, I, I write in the book, but I actually say it's actually not constant, it's accelerated. And if we don't accelerate our linear thinking, 
And that's what exponential theory really comes. If we don't get more conscious and we don't accelerate that thinking, everything will pass us by. And that's happening to people every day. And a lot of people that are losing their jobs are going to have that change that they're going to see. And that's where we're going to see all this layoffs are probably going to lead to a whole nother era of startups that are going to disrupt kind of the current landscape. And that's the exciting thing of um, change is when one door closes, you know, many open, you just have to choose the biggest door that you can serve the world in the biggest way and literally embrace that and jump into it. And that ought to be like my ex-MBA program, the Exponential Mindset, Belief, and Attitude program. Its goal is really to help people think that way, both inside companies as well as we have, you know, individuals taking it just to kind of reinvent themselves. Uh, and we work with a lot of accelerators because it really comes down to your mindset today. If you don't have the right mindset and it is a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. I think that's an easy one to understand. But I would even go that it's an exponential mindset because you really have to think bigger than just growing at your current rate. You got to think about how you go 10x, not 10% or incremental to exponential. Tell me about this ex-MBA program. Is it in person, online? How does it work? It's both. We we work with companies and we go in and we help create cultures that, you know, really expand the mindset, belief, and attitude of the company. And then we have open programs online as well as um, companies that are participating just in a virtual way. So we have a variety of different ways we deliver it, but it really is my my focus and my purpose. Um, ultimately, the company is called One Million Exponential Leaders, and our goal is to create uh, a million exponential leaders where we you know change the world one mind at a time. Because I think it's just figuring out how people think about themselves, you know, related to everything that's happening around them, and how they can really accelerate that thinking for themselves and you know the five people around them as well as uh, the organization around them. Because you know you are the five. You know, you're the culmination of the five people that you're closest to, you know, at least your thinking or your mindset. So how do you intentionally help all those people grow? Well, now you start to create an exponential circumstance, which is part of our program is once people are enrolled, they're enrolling, you know, a lot of their, their people that they spend the most time with because they want to grow with them. Um, and it's a seven week program. It, it, you know, I'd say it's, it's named the XMBA in particular. I used to teach at Arizona State University and Thunderbird and actually taught at Singularity University, as I said, and I think traditional education has a place, but you know, nowadays it's really about mindset, belief, and attitude because technology is moving too fast. Every degree that anyone gets is outdated once they get it. And we just need to really continue to accelerate our mindset to learn and grow with, you know, what's happening around us. And honestly, the faster we adapt and the faster we make decisions and mistakes, the faster we'll get there. And that's kind of part of our process is to get people thinking that way so that they can grow into the future and lead the future and not necessarily be a follower and, you know, being a victim to say, oh, well, everything passed me by because it's about to pass us all by. And I'd say there's not one of us on this planet that technology is not moving faster than. And part of it is just to, to be able to understand how we can contribute to it and how we can find purpose in using technology, not letting it use us. Right now, I think with everybody doom scrolling and endless scroll, you know, we're, we're being used um, by technology. Um, I think there comes a point that uh, we're starting to kind of see a, a group of people that are taking intentional, like, how do we use technology to solve problems for ourselves? And AI does start to solve some problems of things like routine things that we don't like to do. Well, now a lot of these AI systems, and there's literally hundreds of them, there's a 
a guy named AI Daddy that has a resource that has 600 resources of AIs, and it's just amazing. Um, he's on TikTok and Instagram and a, and a friend, but it's to look at all the different uses for it, and it's just going to grow and grow and grow. Uh, and it's it's pretty exciting to to just see where things are going and to understand that everyone, every person in the world, you know, you got to understand that people are all moving at exponential paces in different areas. So it's how to, to learn the who do you need to partner with, not learning the how. And I think that's a very big difference for a lot of, you know, as you say in your book, developers to get to a CTL. It's like, who can help me with this? Because I've got to stop doing the how, because to learn how to do it, you're slowing yourself up versus leveraging all the people that are already doing it. That's a hard transition to make. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's not easy and it takes a long time. AI Daddy, you said his name on TikTok? Do you say yeah, he, yeah. he's a friend of yours or you know him too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucas is a, a friend okay. and um, he just is uh, becoming a, a big influencer in AI and, and has some interesting you know, looks at technology and he kind of reminds you of the guy on her. If you remember that movie that fell yeah, in love with the uh-huh. AI. Yep. Um, I think that's part of his appeal. He, he actually has all of his followers call themselves AI babies and they've kind of really embraced it. So, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, can you introduce us? Of it and at the same time is, is really sharing. It's, uh, so here we go. Josh has got, I'm learning about this there guy. You go. For the first... what I mean? He looks just wow, like the guy on he her. does look like him. <laughs> Can you introduce me to this guy? We might want to have him on the show. <laughs> we definitely will get him on your show. He's he's entertaining. He, we actually do improv together. So we're, we do a oh, comedy wow. class together. So. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> you know, and I think he's part of this group in the XMBA. That's a core group that are expanding. And he's created a course within the XMBA called the AI Odyssey, leveraging mm. the seven universal truths that I found. And the goal of that is is really for people to embrace AI. And understand how they can use it and not let it use you because there, there really are so many different resources and we're just seeing this explosion where I think it's understanding is to have a network of people like AI daddy in your world that can explain things that you just don't have time to learn. And I think in every area that web three, I have another guy named Derek Maines that has a podcast called the convergence. We literally meet on a weekly basis and he's out talking to all the leaders in web three and blockchain and crypto. And then we come together and, you know, sometimes we talk about philosophy, sometimes we talk about, but, but in the end, it's this kind of uh, mastermind to understand that, you know, my appeal to them is I think bigger. So I'm challenging both of them to think bigger every day and really make a bigger impact. They themselves are bringing their expertise. Part of it is, you know, surrounding yourself with those five people that are going to exponentially grow. And I know between all of us, we're going to lock into some exponential things and my own goal of writing the book Exponential Theory as a self-fulfilling prophecy is I want to be on the board of five exponential companies and I'm considering, you know, several different boards and making my bets on which of those are going to be really, really exponential because of what I've, you know, because of this conversation. And I think that's what everyone needs to think is what is their purpose and passion? And my goal is to take those companies and make an impact above and beyond the company I have, the XMBA, that our goal is create 1 million exponential leaders, which ultimately... I would say is a bigger, massive transformative purpose than Google had to organize the world's information because I want to create a million people thinking on an exponential level, solving every possible systemic problem that we have and thinking about how to impact a billion people. And, you know, I think that's where technology is that enabler and network that for us to be on a podcast, you know, today 
you know, just amazing when you think about the technology and how we're connected. And if we choose to, we can help each other grow for now until all of time. And that's kind of the goal of the XMBA is to bring people in that think big and then surround them with other people that'll help them think bigger. And then also it's this idea of the last universal principle I have is that we're all one. Is this idea that, you know, we're all universal energy. So when you put energy into others uh, and you help them think bigger, you know, we actually expand consciousness. We expand, you know, our impact. And that's where, you know, technology, not, not to go spiritual, but, you know, technology is at a play that it's at this intersection now that it's disrupting everything. And that includes religion. It includes church. I mean, it includes all these different clubs and hobbies, every area that you're passionate about in your life or anyone is there's an exponential opportunity sitting inside of that. And I think that's where we're, we're seeing these, you know, average people do extraordinary things is when they embrace the fact that they, they're the ones they, they get the calling to say, Hey, I'm going to change this industry or this thing in the world. I'm going to create this social movement. Um, we, you know, the masses have never had such an opportunity to, to create change. And that's why we're seeing so much disruption is, you know, anyone can obviously embrace that change and kind of grow with it. There's a number of ways to go with this, but one of my first thoughts with the GPT advancements was it, it's making everybody rich in the sense that if it was the 1800s, right, I would have to go around and hire all these brilliant people, bring them to me, put together this community and start to, you know, query them and interact with them, figure out where things are. I can take GPT now and say, here's 20 books, consume only these 20 books, and then I'm going to ask you questions about it. And you're going to be an expert. I could say, now read these other 20 books about thinking and apply this framework to this knowledge set. And then I can, I have this ability to do this for basically free, you know, pennies, if that. And that is insane. That that information at your fingertips is, it'll change everything. It'll allow people to work and as hard as they want. And when I start thinking about this and I run my business, we're not huge. We have less than 20 people, but I've gotten, I've been running it for about six years. And so I've gotten to experience a lot of different people and coming and going and, and things of that nature. The premium is on the desire and drive to do something, not the, as you would say, like the information or the how. It's just the ability. Like if I made a button, <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> that just, it was a money button and you could wake up, you, you could press the button all the time. Eventually people would like stop pressing the button because they'd be too lazy to press the button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So some people just don't want to get up and do stuff. Some people just want to sit around and do nothing. And that's something I think the technology will make more apparent. Yeah, I, I think that's part of my own program, the XMBA, is is to understand we're in abundance technology. I mean, we could spend all of our time learning new technology and never learn, never really ever catch up. But it's it's having the mindset, belief, and attitude to be able to leverage it and then the motivation and I think that also is finding your purpose and, and finding, you know, a, something that you can really think bigger on and contribute to the world. And I think what you said is knowledge is abundant, meaning we all now have access at our fingertips. Like it does make degrees less valuable. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, a network is good if you go to certain colleges, um, but just a degree becomes less valuable. What becomes important though to me, and that's why I created the XMBA is I used to teach in these business schools. And people would create these business models that they didn't, they would just do it academically. But I realized that you could very much see the people that had passion and purpose versus ones that didn't. 
And those are the ones that are getting funded and maybe they fail because they get blindsided or whatever, but they get back up and they do it again. My goal is to figure out how to get that mindset, belief, and attitude so that people can then apply that their passion and purpose to themselves. Um, and that's where then you start to leverage AI and Web3 and all these technologies that are just enablers to do things at speed that we've never done before. And I think that's also part of, you know, growth in itself is as we grow exponentially, as the world kind of, um, when I learned a new word the other day, it was called Tetra Tinehen, which is exponential in all directions. And that's really where we're at right now is we're just exploding with technology, which means that most people are going to say, well, it doesn't affect me because they want to, to your point, not change. But what we're going to see is that it, it has already impacted every person on this planet. I mean, everyone, you know, right now you can't even go to some retail locations without a smartphone because they only have digital or, you know, you have a credit card or something like all these systems have uh, really upgraded to understand that the mass of society has now adopted these technologies. And it is, you know, equitably, you know, for $25, you could get a smartphone now. So it's, it's all of a sudden, you know, access to information is not the problem. It's now how do you take the inner wisdom to know how to decipher the abundance of information so that you can apply it in a way that is meaningful to you and to, you know, what you want to create. And I think that's part of um, the conundrum today is we probably all have too much opportunity and that's where, you know, there's there, you know, and I say everyone because there's programs and there's systems that for a long time people didn't understand how to leverage them now with the internet and you know, honestly, an AI that can help you navigate whatever problem you're having. And that's where self therapy and all these different things are coming. We're literally changing the world where we are going to solve our problems at a much faster rate. Just what it means to me and what it means to XMBA graduates is we need to find bigger and bigger problems to solve because the small problems are all going to fade away and they are starting to, for a lot of people, not all people, because people choose to focus on small problems. And, um, and I talk about a little bit about trauma and self-limiting beliefs and even people that have road rage or whatever, if, if you're not able, if your mind's not bigger than your emotions, then you're never going to get anywhere. If your emotions run your mind, you're, you just got to understand that, um, if you can get angry and it can derail you, that's the first part of kind of the self-therapy that I think technology started to enable people. The second part is really then understand how to leverage all of these systems in a coherent way so that it takes you where you want to go, like where you personally, and that's where the first time in the world is we generally just had people tell us what to do, go to school, go get a job, you know, go do this and then, you know, retire. And what we are learning now is that promise is not there anymore of loyalty and jobs and all that. So it's, we have to actually, there's actually more risk in taking a job than there is creating your own job. And I think that's where the world is changing very, very quickly now. I always thought that was so funny when you'd go want to buy a house or, or use financing in some way. And if you're the business owner, they see you as incredibly risky. But if you work for me, you can get a loan on like way better terms. You're super stable. <laughs> I'm always like, wow, this is, this is a, it, it may, I get it because I have a higher risk tolerance, right? That's why I'm in this position in the first place. But I always just found it slightly odd because they have, the employees by definition have less control over the direction of the business than the, the principles of the business. Yeah. 
it's it's an interesting parable that I think as we we learn um, in the growth of of the idea of all the different ways we can make money today, which you start to realize that people have multiple streams of income are much less risky than someone that has one stream of income. And I I take that to people that are in side hustles and all these different things. Um, you know what what ultimately happens is the people that commit all their time to one thing though and go all in it are the ones that go exponential. And that's the the hard thing today is that there's just too many opportunities to make side money and do different things. And we're inundated with it, with ideas of how to make a little extra money here, whether it's being an Uber driver or, you know, you know, marketing Airbnbs or, I mean, there's infinite opportunities uh, out there for people today, taking surveys, whatever it is, but it's then finding like what is really meaningful to you that you want to do every day. And that's, kind of part of my own purpose is to help people think exponential about those things. Uh, and also just even comp- inside companies, I work with a lot of companies and senior leaderships that, they don't, you know, majority, 87% of people aren't really happy in their jobs. Um, it's because That's they- That's such a crazy really, statistic, right? Yeah, it's 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 uh, enormous. And I think we're in a place in the world that we should figure out what makes us happy because we have abundance, like unemployment rate is fairly low. And for people that have some skills, you know, and I, I, I take all the people in the Silicon Valley that lost their jobs, you know, most of them are still getting a paycheck and already have another job, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, as you look at these companies, people coming out of Facebook, they're either doing startups, all these different things. I, and I really said this when, when Twitter laid off the first group, these computer science people, there's plenty of jobs for computer science people to kind of go out and find and create for themselves. And I think what I, what I hope to see out of this kind of great big tech layoff is that we see a lot of new startups that kind of solve exponential problems in new ways. And that's all a mindset thing. Like when something happens to you, you're a victim. But when you take whatever happens to you and make it as uh, the opportunity for you to create the next big thing, that's what we'll see out of um, a certain percentage of these people that have been laid off. That's going to be exciting to see. And I, I, I see it. I see the noise of the startup community is already kind of picking up because you, you see these people re-energized about the world because most of them didn't like their job in the first place. So now they can work on something that they care about and want to, want to be a part of. I'm curious about your origins. So I'll give a brief, I'll share first and then you can, you can bounce back. The big things that I see when I look back on my life, milestones that help me become who I am and how I think is I got hit by a car when I was 11, 12. I had to learn how to walk again. I went through that process, which took a year. My mom got sick and they said she had two years and she ended up only having six weeks. But the the positive to the negative situation was that me and my siblings, we got to all be in the room and hold her hand as she passed away. That was the real big moment for me when I got into personal development and decided to start trying really hard. And what I've found is I've, I've done 600 plus of these interviews with great people. And I found that in almost all of them, there's these big defining moments in their life where they decide to make this change. And I was curious what yours was, if you had one. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, in the, in the book, I kind of talk about it as my launching point is I went on this, um, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a very small town, like the world was big and foreign, you know, anything outside the United States was crazy. Um, but I actually, to get an internship in Chicago, I, I, I went to Notre Dame and I didn't go to Notre Dame as, as a student, but I went to their career service center. I broke in, I didn't break in, but I walked in and I did interviews with people on in their career center and the interviews didn't work out. I literally told them I went to 
school down the road, um, Indiana Institute of Technology, where I had a soccer scholarship, very small school. But what happened is walking out is I saw a poster for something called Semester at Sea. And it was about something to travel around the world. And it was a defining moment that I took this, this little handout, this little brochure, took it home and just said, at all costs, whatever I'm going to do is I'm going to expand my worldview. And I always wanted to be, I guess you could say an explorer or go out and see the world. And, um, ultimately what I did is, uh, six months later, flew a plane to the Bahamas, got on a uh, ship with 500 other students and went to Venezuela, Brazil, South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, India, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, China, Singapore, uh, Japan, and then back to Seattle. So I circumnavigated the world aboard a ship. And every culture I went into, I learned one about different people and their views on the world. Uh, but I also expanded my view, but just having a reflection time going in and out of all these different places and just myself, because I had not known anyone that had ever been on this program. When I went, I was very different. You know, most people were of means and had traveled considerably. I had never been outside the country, you know, um, I'd been across the border in Canada, uh, near Detroit, but never really been outside the country in a meaningful way. And that defining moment of coming back was really when I got back, I had this reflection of how and pay, you know, I had this experience where we went to a McDonald's in Seattle and I hadn't had McDonald's, you know, quite some time because we we're in places that just didn't have McDonald's at that point. And we went into McDonald's with my parents and they were just so impatient about everything. And I'm like thinking like, oh, wow, I've had the wait, you know, patience that we have. And, you know, just the fact that everything is not available instantaneously around the world. And you just have this perspective of how, you know, how good it was to be an American, but also how good it was to see people from that. There are great things about other cultures. And part of it is the exact opposite of what we think is great about America is to embrace these opposing thoughts. And I think it always served me well as um, Shakespeare and F F Scott Fitzgerald always said something very similar is, you know, genius is the ability to hold two opposing thoughts. And I think today that's also served me very well. Um, as I've advised political parties on both sides, you know, having these conversations about how do we think bigger about their party as well as government in general. I've also, you know, CEOs, I coach several different CEOs uh, up to a $10 billion energy company. And those conversations are always come back to this defining moment of my ability to have two opposing thoughts is to be very objective to understand, like, there's always two sides to a story. And if we're going to grow the story of the biggest, like what's the biggest story we can tell ourselves about it. And then we can tell the world about it. And most of the world is about storytelling. And most of the people that are successful tell better stories. And so I really embrace the story that I told about myself traveling around the world and it redefined my identity and my belonging. And I started to think of myself as a citizen of the globe. Yes, I'm from the United States, but like, how do we raise tides for everyone? not just for, you know, us and our family, which, um, I probably didn't have that thinking growing up. You know, I, I grew up in a little bit of a utopia in South Fort Wayne where, uh, racism and different things, we didn't have much of it because we just were all together. And, um, you know, I, I went to a predominantly, uh, African-American middle school and high school changed a little bit, but those experiences, I had some empathy as well as what I'll call compassion for all people. Um, because I was friends and, you know, I think ignorance is built out of not knowing. 
But then when you go around the world and you see from all these different cultures and perspectives, is there's something unique about all those different points of view. And that's kind of part of where I grew into the exponential theory. So I can link it all the way back is exponential theory is growing conscious about the world, but it's also thinking bigger about all people and helping all people and all, all, all boats rise in the tide. And I think that really goes to this rapid expansion that I had in my own, you know, mind uh, during that time. And I've never stopped learning. I just, it accelerated my learning so much and I've just consumed uh, knowledge. Uh, but to the point that I'm now at a place that I understand that it's not the knowledge you consume, it's really the wisdom and your own inner belief and your exponential mindset, belief and attitude to, to what you can impact the world. And that's where my world and the people I tracked into it, including yourself in this podcast and other things and whoever else is listening to this, um, really helps, you know, grow that. And it's growing my mission as well as I want to help every single person out there think bigger, um, from whatever country they're from, from whatever circumstance of, cause we're not our past. We're not the circumstances we were born into. We're not, we're literally standing here with the opportunity today now to think about the future and to leverage the same technologies that none of us understand and really grow into, you know, disrupting whatever the status quo is, which is all the people sitting on the sidelines saying the things are not going to change. The only thing that I'm certain of is that things are going to radically change at a faster pace than we've ever seen before. Every five years, it's just going to be a blink of the eye. Like literally the next 10 years, we're probably going to have as much innovation as we've had in the last 30,000 years. And that's, yep. that's not, that's not a stretch to think about, but that just shows you the exponential curve that we're on right now, that we have to think in new ways. And that's why I think my program, Exponential Mindset, Belief and Attitude is timely. And I honestly think that we someday, um, and it's probably sooner than I think, I used to say, I'm going to work on creating 1 million exponential leaders for the rest of my life. There'll be someday, I have to rename the company, 1 billion exponential leaders. Where are you at now? We're about 10,000. So we're, okay. we're on that exponential curve where we're, we're starting off. But the whole goal is just to continue to grow this to, you know, we were at a conference last week. We had a couple hundred different companies express interest. So we're, we're in this process of growth because ideally, if you don't have a company culture that it's thinking big and exponential, um, and you're not enabling innovation to come from anywhere, you will be disrupted. And, you know, I have lots of examples in the book and I think that's where gotten some good reviews on Amazon and obviously was a number one bestseller and hit Wall Street and USA Today. Been blessed in those areas. One year anniversary of the book and it's still selling, you know, ferociously. And, you know, my goal is to just get more and more people to think exponential because they either buy the book, they join the course, or they engage me to kind of help them and their companies think bigger. And, you know, that, that becomes a purpose is I don't want to do anything outside of that because I've realize that through all my history of growing and learning, it's to come to this point, whether it was neuroscience or behavioral economics or all these different subjects I include in the XMBA, the goal is to help each individual, no matter where they are, kind of think bigger about who they are. And because each one of us now have been enabled more than any other generation in history to make an impact on the world. It's just our choice. It's our mindset because we all have the same tools. I mean, it's not that, you know, a hundred years ago, there was a very big difference between the royal families and the rest of the world of what tools they had. You know, now we're all state, we're all fighting for the same uh, Wi-Fi, and the same speeds, and we all have that same speed, and we have the same internet, and 
we have the same ability to kind of do those things. And that's just really exciting to me to be part of something that's, um, you know, and help people kind of think that, wow, you're part of this system that is changing. And if it's disrupting you, it's forcing you into a new opportunity. And that's just whether your mindset accepts it or not. People want to learn more about the book. Where do they go? What do they type in? Yeah, you can uh, learn more on my website, AaronBear.com. And the course is XMBA.io because you come in as a linear thinker and you go out as an exponential thinker. So that's our, uh, our goal is to help people think bigger. It's a seven week course and, um, we're, uh, launching the open course now. We've done it with a lot of different companies and kind of, like I said, got feedback from about 10,000 people. Now it's time to really scale that. So we're, we're ending our deceptive phase where, uh, our goal is to really uh, grow this and impact as many people as possible. And it's really a learning community where I think today um, it's this continuous idea to help and learn each other, learn from each other and grow. And that's ideally what we're creating, which um, just feel really happy that I am where I am. I struggled for so many years to kind of find my own place, which I think a lot of people do, but it really is when you, when you find it and you know it and you become certain it, it becomes exponential. And that's where every day I go out with a goal to talk to people and help expand their mindset and, you know, get on a podcast like yours and hopefully 10 or 20 or 50 or a hundred people kind of take this call to action to say, I want to think bigger about myself, whether they download the, my ebook for free, which is available through AaronBear.com, or they buy it on Amazon or they end up taking the course. Doesn't matter. It's, it's just all part of my journey to make an impact. Well, thank you for being out there, creating these types of resources, creating these types of communities, because, you know, that is right up my alley. <laughs> and I love when I got to learn about you and discover you through through my team. And I was like, this guy, he's like a business, technology, Tony Robbins, like all mixed together in one. I was like, I like this guy. Let's let's talk to him. So thank you so much for doing this. You're on your way too. So I got your book and uh, really, really enjoyed um, kind of some of your disruptive thoughts to, to really break down some, some, I think stereotypes as well as just ideas to, to really help people think bigger about the CTO role, um, which I think is really important to be there on the business side, making decisions today and not, not necessarily just being, as you said, a developer, um, it really is, you know, plotting the future. And we're seeing more and more of that where CTOs are the track to the CEO role, especially in technology companies. And you know, understanding the business side of it. And that's, I do play in the version of that. And then, as you said, part of it is also the mindset to help both sides of those communicate with each other, which is really a gap right now. And in, in most big companies, um, and especially amongst their board of directors and the companies themselves, it's, it's closing those gaps, which I find fascinating and fun. And um, every day I enjoy kind of talking about these big things. And those are the opportunities, right? Closing those gaps. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where things get crazy, crazy big and fast. And I've been part of some unbelievably uh, exciting companies and, and look forward to being a part of the, quite a few more in the future. AaronBear.com, right? Yep. AaronBear.com. Perfect. We made a podcast, Aaron. How do you feel? I feel great. 